saints, ain'ts, and friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Vibe Central Podcast. Congratulations, you've passed the Vibe Check yet again. We are so excited for you all to tune in today. Thank you for tuning in, by the way. I feel like I don't tell you all that enough. So let me just say I greatly appreciate those of you that listen, those of you that put up with my foolishness for like 45 to an hour. Um, We appreciate you. Yeah. Amen. So as you all know, our last episode was a conversation about prayer. This episode is also going to be a conversation about prayer, but with a twist. Today's guest is someone who I also met on Instagram. Let me tell y'all, the amount of people that I have met on Instagram and have become like really good friends with, like, I mean, close friends. It's weird because a lot of people feel a certain way about meeting people on Instagram because like, you know, stranger danger thing. But um, yeah, it was quite nice. And I had, speaking of strangers, today's episode, <laughs> today's episode is with a great man of God who I met on Instagram. He is you can name it and he probably does it a little bit and or specializes in it ladies and gentlemen prophet timothy dixon is here with us today how are you man man i'm happy to be here thank you for having me absolutely absolutely so let's get into this you and i were talking a bit offline i think before we even started recording this episode um, a little bit about prayer. And one of the things that you and I could agree on was the fact that prayer kept us sane, like in these COVID filled streets in a whole bunch of stuff, prayer kept us sane. So I want you to talk about, um, if you're comfortable talking about this, I want you to talk about a little bit about your testimony, your experience with prayer and your experience with becoming a, I guess I would say, um, I'm not gonna say becoming a prophet, I'm gonna say recognizing that you were called to that office. So what, what did that look like for you? Um, that's a loaded question, man. Um, I think, so I'll kind of answer it in sections. Um, prayer, became, I became familiar with prayer because I felt like a child who was not understood. Um, so growing up, maybe not like at the age of 10, but growing up between like 13 to about 17, um, there were just times there were things that I was experiencing, things that I was going through, things that I was trying to articulate to my family. Um, also feeling like the black sheep of a family, not realizing it was because of a gifting that I had. But um, yeah, that place of feeling like I was misunderstood or didn't have the space to talk to others, like my family members or friends, led me to the space of prayer um, where like, I just began to, um, it, it became my escape. You know, so before I really knew what I was doing, it was more so me building relationship and history with God with um, without the intention that most approach prayer in, you know, without that weird intention, like, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming to pray because I need results. Um, prayer was my diary, if you will. Um, I, I, I also write things out. So that is a thing. <laughs> um, but before I got to writing things, I used to talk things out in prayer and it wasn't anything fancy. It was just the reality of how I felt because that was the other thing. Um, and we could jump right into this, but you know, the shame of certain struggles or the shame of, um, 
feeling like I wasn't the, again, I was feeling like I was the black sheep, led me to feel like I couldn't be comfortable in conversation with regular people. So what I couldn't say in front of others or to my friends or my family, I took advantage of that and said it in the space where I, I believe that God heard me. And he in fact did. So in those spaces of me kind of building this relationship with the Lord, um, I was not familiar with the prophetic, uh, the gifts of the spirit. I kind of, I tell people it's a kind of a, uh, a joke, but it's for real. I grew up Baptist. I thank God for my upbringing, but I grew up Baptist and I thought prophets were dead until um, there was one man who called me out by my name, told me all about my life and said, the Lord told me that um, you're going to be a prophet. And that was the first time that I had ever experienced a tangible power of God in that way. Um, but the man of God laid, poured oil on me and laid hands on me. And um, I, I went out under the glory, man. When I came to, uh, he said, do you know what happened to you today? And told me that I was filled with the Holy Spirit um, and that, you know, from there on, I was going to be a prophet. I had no idea what that looked like and what that was. Um, all I know is that me going to that service that wasn't at a Baptist church, one of my friends had invited me to a church, um, but going to that service and having that encounter left me with a hunger. And so I started watching videos on YouTube. Um, <laughs> I started watching videos on YouTube of people speaking in tongues and people laying hands and, you know, the charismatic church that I was not exposed to prior to. Um, I also went to my uh, pastor at the time. And after sitting with this idea and having this hunger and really wanting, you know, to learn more and having somebody tangibly teach me, I went to my pastor and he told me that, uh, or I told him that I was called to be a prophet, right? I was convinced because of the experience, but I was convinced because even with the man, you know, what the prophet of God said at that service, it, 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 it stuck with me. Like it pierced my heart. Like I believed it. It wasn't something that, um, it was just like, oh, I'm going to take it because it sounds good. But like something, something in me resonated with what he said. So I went to my pastor at the time. And again, I'm a part of this Baptist church. The pastor said to me, um, what I want you to do is I want you to study how God calls people. And I want you to study all of the major and minor prophets. So at that time, um, again, you got to remember that I was probably, I didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost. I didn't have this encounter until October of 2012, 2013. So I was about 16 or 17, um, or 16 turning 17. And so I had this real hunger about all this stuff, right? So in the place of going to study this stuff and feeling like, again, I really didn't have a teacher. It, I was only left to what I knew, which was my history with God at the time and what I was studying in the word. So when I would read these stories about how the Lord spoke to the prophets and what the prophets did and how he used them. And then as uh, my pastor gave me different scriptures to study how God called people and what that looked like, I started to realize that I was having these encounters on my own, like in my own space. And that was birthed out of the place of prayer, which was, again, I wasn't seeking the Lord for the gifting, but rather it was my comfortable space. And in that comfortable space, he started to reveal himself to me. And as he revealed himself to me, um, I started to realize that I was called. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it did thoroughly. It did. So explain more. I, I guess we're going to talk. We're going to switch. We're going to come back to prayer. We're going to switch for a minute because like, you said something that was very powerful. And I think that a lot of um, 
this generation can relate to being misunderstood being misunderstood kind of being not uh kind of being like the the outcast of families of certain homes and i guess what i'm trying to ask is how can that take us away from the place of prayer more than draw us to him per se did, did, did that make sense I think that makes sense. I think that's a great question. Um, being misunderstood is basically um, being incorrectly interpreted. So in the place of prayer where you are supposed to feel comfortable or in the space of your relationship with the Lord, because that's really what prayer is. It's just you talking to your father. Um, if you've had your family incorrectly interpret how you say things or um, incorrectly interpret, you know, what you're go how why you're going about things a certain way and they kind of you know judge you I don't want to say judge you for it but let's say that they um are talking to you about it it might make you apprehensive and being in becoming vocal it might make you apprehensive and just talking so in the place of prayer um being misunderstood it's a real thing you may feel like the reality of the matter is because God is a spirit and he is you know um he's not tangible like human beings we often make the mistake of looking at god through the lens of our natural um occurrences so <clears throat> if my family misinterprets what i'm saying i might feel like god will do the same so instead of me talking to him i'll just keep my mouth shut um because my family made me feel some kind of way about how i said something and they told me that i don't need to talk like that or you know it don't what I'm saying don't really make sense. I might not take how I feel to the Lord because I might have this idea that he'll make me, he'll stay the same. And the reality of the matter is that's not the case, but being misunderstood can definitely, um, if not channeled correctly, I don't know how, uh, to be honest, I was young. I don't know how I ended up. Um, it had to be the Lord. It had to be the hunger of the Lord and the plan of the Lord beyond what I knew, because it wasn't like I chose it intentionally. It was just something that um, became my vice, if you will. So it, yeah, that question definitely makes sense. It is possible that being misunderstood by family and friends could make you feel like prayer is not an option for you. So I guess my follow-up question for that would be, how do you, how do you combat feeling as if the Lord would misunderstand you in the place of prayer when you've been misunderstood? Some people, it's like some of their life and it's really been crucial to them. And then all of their life, yeah. it's like you're in a family dynamic where you, from a young age, you would say things and do stuff and they'd be like, what? <laughs> how do you, how do you, that, that's really some of the reaction was like, what? But right. how do you, how do you combat separating, um, hmm, how do you combat separating your family life and your broken household from the Lord's perspective and view of you? <laughs> I would argue that you're not to separate them, but before I get there, I would say that, um, and I was just having this conversation, but in order, psychology says that in order for you to, um, it takes, psychology says that it takes seven times to hear the truth just to combat one lie. And so the best way possible to combat this, if you will, is to anchor yourself in the truth about what the Lord says about you. Beyond that, it takes a level of, um, man, this is gonna get good really, really quickly. But the only way to trust is to try trusting. You know, 
your trust might be broken and people might have broken your trust or things and situations might have um, caused you not to be so um, trusting. But the only way to start believing in that again is to actually try it. There's no one, two, three steps. You know, there are, there's no like, just do this, do that. And then you'll start believing again, but you've got to just take a chance. And so the hardest part of that is actually taking the chance itself. So in the place of prayer, um, as it relates to prayer and even coming from broken, um, uh, broken family or a family that does not understand your call or has misunderstood you in times prior, you must believe that the Lord will not do the same and take a chance. I can tell you that you can anchor yourself in the truth because that is a thing. Um, You know, you start reading the word of God and in the word of God, he tells you how he views you. But even at the point of you accepting how he views you or hearing how he views you or reading how he views you, you must take a chance on that. And so um, I would say anchor yourself in the truth about what God says, but then prepare your heart to take a chance that you might not want to. Say that, say that last little part again, because that was that was good. Say, say that, that uh, last uh, little you said. I hope I can say it right. I said, after you anchor yourself in the truth, you must prepare your heart to take a chance that you may not want to. That part. <laughs> there is no other statement, just that part. And I think it really, it really is amazing that a lot of people see prayer different ways. Now, I was growing up in a, my house was a mainly, fairly religious household, but we weren't, um, we weren't diehard Pentecostals. We weren't diehard Baptists. We weren't die. We were just, we went to church. (laughs) Okay. That's the best way I could explain it is the fact that we went to church. And so, you know, some church dynamics have, some church dynamics are different. Some people think differently. Some people believe differently. But I think the one thing that honestly had kept me rooted even in going to church, because honestly, I've had more experiences in church than out of church. Let let me just put that on the table. I've had more in than out. And so the only thing that really kept me going wasn't even going to the church building it was the fact that I was beginning to experience Jesus in my house like I had real live encounters with him in my house and so that was the only thing that kept me really going but I I can share this because I was scared at first because you know me coming to God with uh, a background you know that's one of the things where you can be like okay I'm here hey Mm -hmm. How you doing? Um, my name is Mitchell. You know, like that kind of thing. You come to him with a certain shame and a certain um, guilt of like, I'm going to come to him and, and, and see what he says, but I have a history. So here we go. Um, there goes nothing. And I think it was the there goes nothing that really put me in a place because he never, he never condemned me for it. Even when I came to him and told him and gave him a list of stuff that I hated, a list of stuff that I did, a list of reasons why I did it, and the list of explanations to the reasons why I did it, and the list of explanations to those explanations, so on and so forth, right? It was a thing where I went to him and I said, okay, uh, hey, how are you? What's, what's new? Yeah. And he never, And he never really, you know, condemned me for any of that 
any of what I said or what I did. And so where do you think the, let, let's move to a different, speaking of that, let's move to a different, uh, a different topic, condemnation. Um, you were on live last night or this morning. Fun fact. Uh, this man gets on live. You catch him on live after 12. Midnight. <laughs> after 12. He will clown all day on his stories and you will cackle. But after 12, if you see his name pop up on somebody's live, you better grab a notepad. That's it. When people are about to go to sleep, he's on live. Oh, okay. People have work tomorrow. I have work the next day. He has work the next day. So you were talking, <laughs> you, you were talking a bit last night on um, feeling guilt and shame in the place of prayer. And if you can remember, um, what were some of the things that you were saying when in regards to facing guilt and facing shame and condemnation in the place of prayer because that you know you have a back history? That's Fun good. fact, I think sometimes it's because that we are aware of the knowledge that Jesus forgets. But go ahead, go ahead. You... You, you took part. You took you took part of my response. Um, I did. That's really good, man. Uh, um, and since you brought that up, we can start right there, um, and then we'll work our way around. But literally, the Bible says that He takes our sin and casts it into the sea of forgetfulness to remember it no more. And um, so He forgave. He He forgives me, and then He forgets what He forgave me from. Like, though there are scriptures that prove that, and we could find that, um, especially you know, just for reference points for the um, for the podcast. But uh, as it relates to shame and guilt in the place of prayer, the reality of the matter is, prayer for me has always been a relationship piece. So it's not just something that I do because I need something. It is not something that I exercise because I want power, but it's rather the place of relationship, which is why it's the place of sanity for so many people. Um, the power of sin is guilt and shame. That's why in Romans 8, I believe, it says that he came to condemn the power of sin, which is guilt and shame. Um, and then at the beginning of Romans 8, it also says there is now for there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So again, we were talking about earlier, anchoring ourselves in truth in order to combat the shame um, and the shame of what we feel and the guilt of what we feel, we must embrace the love of God. This is all in Romans chapter eight, right? So he starts out the chapter by saying, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say that because you are his sons and his daughters. And then he goes on to say that all things work together for the good of them. He goes on to say at the bottom, what can separate you from the love then? And from that understanding, you'll realize that shame and guilt have no place in your relationship with the Lord because he's already died. He's already sacrificed himself for the things that he knew that you would do. Um, there was something, there was an example that I gave while talking to one of my brothers <clears throat> and it was from the standpoint, sorry. <clears throat> it was from the, um, it was from the standpoint of Adam in the garden. 
Adam had relationship with the Lord and met with him every day in the cool of the day. And then all of a sudden he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decides that he wants to hide from the Lord because he was naked. And so the Lord says to Adam, Adam, where are you? He says, I'm naked. And the Lord responded and said, who told you that you were naked? And in that same breath, it's like the Lord for some of us where we feel like we have a backstory, we have history, we have issues, we have whatevers. The Lord is like, who told you that I'm not accustomed to seeing that? Who told you that I didn't know that that was there? Who told you that I'm not used to seeing you in all of your, your hum, human humanity and all of your whatevers? So it's like the power of guilt and shame is to keep you from the place of your relationship. You'll cover yourself up from the one who is the answer when, because you feel like he's judging you, but he's like, I need you to be open because I know that I, like, that's the thing that I don't think believers realize, man, <clears throat> is the fact that he won't push us away because he knows he's the answer. He won't judge us because he knows he's the answer. He was the answer for it before we were born. And he's the answer for it when we come into the realization that it's a problem. Either way, it was already solved. But the reality is, if I don't embrace the fact that he's the answer, then I'll always feel like it's a struggle. I'll always feel like it's something that keeps me away from him. And so um, literally, like he says things like, I loved you. I, before, I, before the foundations of the world, I loved you. I knew you and I chose you, you know? And, and so in the place of prayer, because I want to make sure I'll go off on a tangent in a heartbeat. Um, in the place of prayer, I want to say that condemnation has no space because the place of prayer is a place of relationship, which is the place of love. Um, God is love. And so above all else, there are many benefits to prayer, but above all else, what it is for is to solidify and establish your relationship. So that's how the devil plays with us. He makes us feel like the Lord won't embrace us. He makes us feel guilty about what we did so we won't talk to him. He makes us feel ashamed so that we'll hide. Um, instead of us being convicted, we'll feel condemned. And then we'll, all, you know, then we'll say God won't restore us. And that's not the case at all. It's all in Romans 8. Romans 8 will deliver you in a, in a whole other way. But yeah. The funny thing about it is, um, and I think that's so good because when people go into a place of prayer um, and go into a space of relationship with the Lord, they feel like they have to work a certain amount to earn God's love. They feel like they have to work a certain, do certain things. If I do this, he'll love me more. The truth of the matter is we can't do anything for him to love us. He already loves us. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. In fact, we yes, did sir. the total opposite. Yes, we sir. as people did the total opposite, but it's the fact that he loved us. Yeah. I always say the plan of the, 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 the plan he had for Jesus was to solidify a love that was once lost, quote unquote, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I say mm -hmm. quote unquote, because he's always had the love for us. We just became so aware of ourselves that he thought we didn't. The knowledge of good and evil, because we know what we do right. We know what we do yeah. wrong. When, yeah. the when the relationship, when Adam and Eve in the garden, like they didn't know, I, I want to say that, and you can correct me Tim if I'm wrong, but I want to say that they didn't know like God knew. 
and now they're aware of themselves and it pushes them farther away from the Lord. Now you can say, I'm, you can correct me, but the thing about it is that who told you is powerful. Like if you look at it, because it was like the, the who told you is packed in. I already knew, but I still loved you. And so when he's like, who told you? For Bible scholars and for those who, who sometimes, sometimes struggle understanding the Lord, that who told you hits you in your chest. Because you'll go to the Lord and be like, okay, well, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. Okay. Okay. Legitimately that. And going back to what you said before, bringing up that scripture that says, he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness to remember it no more. Who are we to remind the father of what he chose to forget? And in, in, the, in the space where he said, I covered it and then I forgot it. Why do you consistently bring it back up before him? And this is the kind of thing, this is why we have to become aware of our relationship. This is not a, a, um, a past to sin. And it is not, you know, something that says, oh, okay, well, since he forgot it, I, could, I must be able to do it again. That's not what I'm saying. For the mature believer, what I'm saying is, and for the one that's struggling with guilt, shame, or condemnation, what I'm saying is you don't have to remind him of something that you've repented for. Now, if you've really repented, then we move on in grace. It's like, okay, listen, repentance isn't just an apology. And I think that's why, um, I think we, we haven't taught that correctly, or I don't wanna say we haven't taught it correctly. Let me change that. I feel like we haven't grasped the full understanding of repentance because every time we go and repent, we, we use it as an apology. And, but the apology holds no weight because it has no action that follows it. True repentance literally means to return to the highest pinnacle. Um, I don't remember the exact word, but it means to return to the highest pinnacle. So it means that at one point you were going in a direction, but you turn from that direction and then return back to your, put your focus back on to God. And you literally left something, um, you left that thing behind, you turned away from it. So in the state of repentance, not just apologizing, but trying to turn away from something. If you're trying to turn, then he's already forgiven and he's already forgotten. But if you're just apologizing because you feel bad about it, then you're operating in condemnation and not conviction. If you're just apologizing because you feel like, oh my God, he's gonna hate me if I don't say sorry, then you're operating in guilt and shame and not in the love of the Lord. The love of the Lord empowers you to repent. Woo! Yeah, that's good to me. The love of the Lord empowers you to turn away from the thing that, that had your affections and your attention. But he loves me so much and he's not, gonna, he's not going to um, beat me up about it. And that's the part that really hurts. I do deserve what comes with this, but you don't even give that to me. You just forgive me and say, Go ahead and turn. I'll see you on the other side. You ever like did something and then like your parents don't beat you right away. So then you'd be nervous. Like, okay, is today the day that I'm going to get a beating? Okay. Is today the day that you just decided to put me on punishment? And they're like, no, the lesson is you could have gotten in trouble, but you didn't. And so now that you know better, I'll, you know, I, there's no reason for me to punish you. Like the love of the Lord empowers you to turn and repent. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Lord's love is a two-way street. Like, it feels good. Like, you love me. You care about me. But if I do something crazy, and it's one of those, no, 
I'm not gonna beat you. That's scary. That's scary. Because it's like, it oh, okay. You, you what? You ever do something crazy? And you say, okay, I, 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 you know, I deserve this, this, and this. Uh-uh. And he just said it. It's like, uh-uh. You know, I really believe, I really believe parents did that because they know that we had already kind of learned the lesson. And beating would be overpowered. Because we're internally helping ourselves. True. And again, because of our humanistic nature, it's it's our life is proved out of works. So <laughs> I feel like if I did something wrong, it's it's cause and effect. It's like um, you know, you reward good good deeds and you punish bad ones because it's it's a level of it's a level of works. Um and and this gospel that we preached, this relationship that we're trying to live is not according to our works, but according to our faith. So I have a, I have a question about that because can, can condemnation, and here's what I'm going to ask, and I'm going to explain the question a little bit. Can condemnation be taught? Because we read a lot in the Bible where, you know, good things happen and the Lord rewarded them and bad things happen and somebody got killed. Like, can condemnation be a taught thing? This is this is a great question. Um, <clears throat> I want to say yes. And the reason being is because condemnation is the expression of what? The, basically, it's the expression of dis- disapproval. Um, and so in the place where we read that the Lord dis- has disdain for certain things, um, even our parents, you know, when they tell us one thing and we do another and they're like, I'm disappointed in you. And they're upset with our actions. It brings on a level of condemnation. But um, the reality of the matter is that con- it's not supposed to be that thing that causes you. Condemnation really brings on a level of guilt. I think that's so. I don't think that if it's taught correctly, I don't think it will bring it'll be condemnation but i feel like it'll again more so be a level of conviction because if i if you learn the lesson right and let's say you know you do something bad and your parents beat you and now you're like feeling condemned or that you know that frustration or that disapproval now turns into bitterness in you because you're like there was no reason for them to take it out on me like this you know i could have learned if they said if they just talked to me versus you know whatever um you know I feel like saying that condemnation can be taught, but if it's taught, if the word is taught correctly, if the precepts are taught correctly, then um, again, and the correct version is teaching it in love. You'll realize that he loves, he chastens whom he loves. So even his, pun, but his punishments are not unto negativity. His punishments are for our greater good. And, it, and it's not even a punishment. Like, the wages of sin or death is death. It still is, always will be. And so he's not going to go back on his word. If we fall into a place of sin and it's like, all right, there's something coming to you, but my grace will not allow you to experience it in its fullness. It's not like he's going to turn, he, he's not going to turn his word. Like it's going to come. The wages of sin or death. Like there are things that happen 
it's consequential. Like, if I go shoot up a bank, they're going to come find me. They, at least they're going to try, and I'm going to go to jail. Now, how the Lord ministers to me in jail or whatever happens thereafter, there's still a whole entire life that I can have, use, change. You know, so all I'm saying is, like, if we teach the love of the Lord the right way, we'll teach it from the standpoint of, I mean, we know our parents. They'd be like, you know, I'm only beating you because you need to learn, you need to understand you need to grow up, all this kind of stuff. They're doing it. This chastisement is for our good, but it's not supposed to be viewed from a negative connotation. If that makes any sense. I feel like I didn't answer that in its entirety, but I'm also going to kind of study it so I can come back. <laughs> you answered it. Honestly, you did answer that question. So speaking of teaching, and I, 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 I at this point, I guess we're just, I, this is just, we're off, we're off grid now. But we, are, we we out here. We we out here. So um, you say that too. I like that. But speaking of teaching, um, where do you think? I think I asked you this question before, but um, if you could reiterate the answer, like I don't have it written down, like I couldn't just reword for what you said. But no, I'm gonna let you answer it. Um, where do you think that we miss the balance of teaching in? teaching God in both aspects. And I'm gonna say it like this. Um, some can teach love. Some can teach strictly love. And then we have a generation that teaches strictly, um, if you do this, this is gonna happen. If you do this, that teaches the, the I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say like this, the mighty hand of God, quote unquote. Um, where do you think the balance comes in teaching in love, but also explaining and also explaining the father? Does that, does that question make sense? Uh, I think it does. If I understand it correctly, you just trying to understand the difference between, especially like this modern, I don't want to say the modern church, but the time that we're in where we're, people are preaching heavy grace and love messages versus like fire and brimstone, you know, repent you know, because you're going to hell type messages. I was, I was thinking that too, repent on you going to hell, but yes, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was asking. Um, I think the balance is having the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Um, literally the Bible says that he is love. I think I quoted something just not too long ago that says that he, he chastens whom he loves, but then the Bible also says things like, um, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? And so I feel like if we were to teach it from the standpoint of grace and love and building relationship, it would have a more lasting impact than, you know, the way that they've tried to disciple us in fear um, from the last generation. And it's not to say, I mean, because here's the reality. Fear is, in fact, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It works. <laughs> Teaching people fear, it's effective, but... It's not the kind of effective that I believe the Lord wanted to be. Um, there are surely repercussions and repercussions or rather repercussions to our deeds and actions, but he died to give us eternal life and to pay for the price of everything that we would commit through the breath of our life. Um, and so if we believe that salvation is what it is, Yes, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whomsoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we believe that, then the gospel, according to what we believe, would say that he loves us enough to not kill us or to destroy us, but to correct us. And, and his correction is still his love. Like there's still love and correction, right? Um, there's still love in his guidance. There's still love in his rebuking. That's why people, I also feel like, and this is kind of off tangent, but that's why I also feel like people are afraid of deliverance ministry because we're so hell bent on being angry that it's a devil and not loving the vessel to get them free. Deliverance is a love ministry. And if you don't love Jesus, and if you don't love the vessel, and if you don't love his children, you could hate the devil all day, but you're not effective in deliverance because all you're worried about is casting out a devil, but not teaching the vessel how not to be overwhelmed or overtaken um, by demonic encroachment again. You feel me? So it is the, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is full and it's complete. And he doesn't change. And what he said is very real and true. So in fact, yes, the wages of sin are death. Yes, there are you know things that we should abstain from. There are laws and precepts that we have because this is what he said and this is what's in the word of God. But at the same time, it is the love of God that makes me feel obligated to keep that because I love him. I don't want to go against what he said because I love him and he loves me. I don't want him to be disappointed. And even at the point of me failing sometimes what the law says or what the Bible says, the Bible says things like, um, we can't do this in our own strength and grace. So he dealt to man, every man, a measure of faith. You feel me? So like we, even the idea and the concept of holiness, right? We teach holiness as an action and abstaining from demonic things, sinful natures and all that kind of good stuff. When in all actuality, he called a nation holy. The first, first of all, before we even get into it, the first thing that he called holy was a day. <laughs> this is gonna bless me. He literally set aside a day and said he called it holy. And the reality of the matter of holiness is relationship or being set apart. I'm holy because I'm his. I'm holy because I belong to him. And when you have that revelation of what holiness is, you'll realize that the, the that teaching love and grace doesn't keep you from um, keeping his commandments. Oh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> One moment. I'm writing. I'm writing quickly. It is so, time, it's so crazy that you would say that because I know a lot of people when... There, there, there's literally so much to unpack in what you said, like, honestly, because for one, let's talk about deliverance. Like people think deliverance is foaming at the mouth, screaming, crying, etc. Although crying can be a form of deliverance. Let me just say that crying is crying is beneficial personally, in my own opinion, but deliverance is just an expression of his love. Like you're delivered because he wants you to be free. Like you're getting deliverance because he wants you to be free. So it's an expression of his love. And oh, that's crazy because I was just thinking about holiness about a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they say this phrase, holiness is right. Sure. <laughs> but yes. I think a lot of people, a lot, and, and, and it is, a lot of people are like, holiness is right. Holiness is right. Sure. But we're still left with a dull understanding of it, asking the question of what is it? Like, it's right. Okay. What is it? 
that's it, it, it's exactly that what is it holiness is it's it's being sacred it's being set apart it's being consecrated it's the reason why being holiness is right meaning that i don't give into the way of the world because i'm not from this world so the things that everybody else is doing the things that everybody else finds pleasure in i'm consecrated because i have a relationship with the lord i'm set apart and so holiness is again the action that's followed by it is from the understanding that i belong to him and because i belong to him i just don't participate in certain things i don't do certain things i don't get caught up in certain mess you know i don't do things the way that the world does them because i am holy i i i am abstaining from premarital sex because i am holy you know i am abstaining from certain things and this is you know even going into some of the way that some of us were again discipled in fear like the older generation saying that you can't go to the movies because you know the devil's there and that's where things happen. The reality of the matter is if you sanctified, you could go somewhere and not participate. But what they were trying to do was keep us away from atmospheres that would even possibly tempt us. You understand? So certain things are not necessarily doctrine. They were just preventative measures. Not and which goes on to say that they weren't wrong, but they what happened was somewhere along the way we over-spiritualized preventative measures. So holiness, the first thing that he set aside to be holy was a day. And again, that is really the reality of the matter, which is being set apart, being considered sacred, being special, being specifically put for one use or set aside for a use. And that's what he calls us. He calls us his children. He calls us his people. He said that we belong to him. And because we belong to him, because we accepted Jesus Christ, the Bible says that since they didn't accept Jesus, they won't accept us. That's what makes us holy. Amen. Praise the Lord. My final question to you, sir, is what practical, practical tips could you give us as new believers? Believers that have been here for a while and just don't know how to do it. And or dare I say emerging intercessors. Well, y'all should see the face I just made. What are some tips that you could give us on how to stay consistent and understanding hmm, understanding where we pray from? Mm -hmm. As sons, go ahead. No, I'm listening. What 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 tips could you give us? Understanding where we pray from, how we pray, why we pray, and why things are moved in prayer. Ooh, that that question evolved. Okay. <laughs> um, let me see here. Uh, okay, give me your question again, just so I can kind of think through it because it evolved in my, it, it evolved. Yeah, it evolved. <laughs> It did. It really did. Because I was asking, like, what are practical tips? And then I'm like, some, like, how do we, like, yeah. So what are some practical tips you can give people on how to stay consistent in prayer and understanding why and understanding, truthfully, what prayer is? Like, what are some tips that you could give us? Okay. Um, I think the first thing is to um, ask God for help. And I say that because um, he really wants to talk to us. And 
in the space where we feel like we, whatever it is, right? That asking for help, there might be something that we are feeling that causes us to feel like we can't come to him. Um, there are days where we might feel like we just don't know what to say um, or how to articulate in the place of prayer and just kind of opening up with that vulnerability, vulnerability saying like, hey, I wanna talk to you. I know you wanna talk to me, but I don't know where to start. That's a start. Um, so asking him for help and then, you know, I could jump into, again, Romans eight, he said, you know, likewise, we have a helper, right? That when we don't even know how to pray as we ought, Holy Spirit kicks in and gives us utterances, groanings, and you know, that can't be uttering, that can't be uttered of men. So for those of you who are new believers, those of you who are, like you said, up and coming intercessors, praying in the spirit is in fact a thing. I mean, if you got to speak in tongues and roll on the floor, okay, maybe not roll on the floor, but if you've got to speak in tongues for about 30 minutes before you kind of have a direction, go for it. Or even, you know, even if, and I think that's another thing. So practical, um, be, be okay with what your prayer time looks like, right? So if you can only pray for five minutes right now, give it your best, give it your full heart in your five minutes. And then, you know, let the Lord expand himself in you so that it goes a little bit longer. And so let's say you take like in the morning, you want to pray and you say, good morning, Lord, I'm here. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. Um, and then you speak in tongues for a little while and it's like, okay, listen, help me throughout my day. You know, give me the understanding that I need. Give me this, give me that, Lord. Touch my family. Thank you for waking me up. Touch, you know, whoever. I thought about so-and-so today, Lord. Whatever it is that they're going through, amen. Like, cool. If that's what you have, be okay with that. I think sometimes we get discouraged in a place of prayer because we have these unrealistic expectations, especially when we grow up hearing, could you not tarry with me for an hour? And which is even funnier because now an hour has become the apex time for prayer when it's like it could go beyond an hour <laughs> it could be less than an hour just because we didn't pray for an hour doesn't mean that it wasn't effective um oh i gotta write something down because my mind just went somewhere um but practical tips ask him for help right then after that um because we are creatures of habit create a time a space like set a time carve out a time for the lord um if and you know based upon what your schedule looks like if you know you're the type of person that after you've gone all day you're going to come home and just not have the energy to do anything don't schedule your prayer time <laughs> there you know if you're at school and and you know or if you're getting ready if you're getting up to get ready for class or school you know, maybe you want to put your prayer time before you start your day. Or maybe if you have a break in the middle of your day and at your lunchtime, let me tell you something. My lunch breaks when I go to work are usually the time where like I wear myself out. <laughs> that hour space where I go sit in my car and just talk to the Lord about whatever's on my mind or whatever he would have me to pray about. Like that's a thing. I'm a creature and we're creatures of habit. So if you begin to develop a habit of praying at a specific time, eventually that thing will just kick in and become second nature. Um, so I would say ask for help. I would say create um, create a habit, like literally carve out space to pray. Um, and I would also 
write down your prayers, like prayer targets, right? So for intercessors, as well as um, people who just struggle with articulating themselves, if you write out what it is that you want to say, it's like almost like, it's, and I don't want to say it's like making a speech, but you know how when people got to make a speech or you have to give give words, you, you jot down, whether you write it all the way out or just jot down bullet points about what you wanted to hit, make a prayer list. Um, make a target list. Like literally, I want to pray about my family. I want to pray about this person, this person, this person. I want to pray about my schooling. I want to pray about my job. I want to pray about money. And I think that'll be good for today. Like, or, or even if it's not today, like if you want to take space or like a month to pray about the same thing or like, I want to make sure I pray about my family. I want to pray for this person, this person, this person. I want to pray for my school. I want to pray for my job. I want to pray about money. If that's what the Lord gave you and that's what you feel like your prayer target is for the month, you know, make a list so that again, we're creatures of habit. Um, you've become accustomed to praying. And then on top of that, you've gotten, you know, the things that you, you're, you're praying, the things that you were thinking about throughout the day or, um, you know, just making sure that you got to say with him or say to him what you were thinking about saying. And then I think the other thing is making sure that you put, uh, that you're not distracted at the time of prayer. Um, that is a thing. Uh, like, you know, sometimes I play soaking music. Other times I literally sit in silence because I need to focus. Sometimes, you know, and, and that kind of goes back into when I say things like carving space out for him, making sure that you're not on your phone, making sure that, you know, you're not distracted by social media, um, making sure that, you know, you've done whatever you need to do so that you can spend however long you're going to spend with him. If it's 15 minutes, I mean, make sure that you've done everything in that space so that you can have your 15 minutes freely with him. Um, life happens. People, you know, whatever, call um, things just come up, but make sure that you kind of put away whatever your distractions are. And I feel like, I think I gave well, those four, um, ask for help, uh, make a, you know, Matt, yeah. Ask for help, carve out a time, um, make a list and don't be distracted. Try to put away your distractions. I feel like those are practical tips for every believer and even, um, people who, feel a heavier call to intercession those things will definitely strengthen you in your prayer life merciful savior <laughs> did our hearts not burn i'm sorry i said that wrong did not our hearts burn there we go i said that right i said that right churchy <laughs> did not our hearts burn on tonight next phrase followed by we're closing getting off from in your hand amen um Thank you so much, sir. Man, this was really dope. And it was a pleasure to be a part. This was fun. Real life was. This was fun. I really appreciate my Instagram people. Ain't like, it crazy? Really, ain't it crazy? You would say in the, in the introduction, like, man, the people that I have met over social media, um, they I have met some real friends um and beyond you know because this is another weird thing not to go into a whole nother topic but like everybody don't got to be close 
I have gained, hey, I, have gained I have gained strong favor just by interacting with people on social media and they are not my best friends. They don't talk to me every day, but if I pop up in their city or if I'm at their church, it's it's like, you know, it it's literally it's the kingdom and this is what it is. It's just another way to come and and be a part of the kingdom. So, yeah, I'm super glad I got to um encounter you and even be a part of what you're doing. This is so phenomenal. This is so God. This is so dope. And the fact that you have the courage to branch out and do it, man, I'm not going to prophesy, but I really, like, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that the Lord has in store for you because he loves you. Um, and so be fully encouraged. This, this, this kind of stuff, man, yeah, you're... Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you. Let me tell y'all something about. First of all, let me tell you when I first actually encountered Prophet Prophet Dixon, that was his name. Like I introduced him as Prophet Dixon for a reason. That was his name, and the saints wore it out when I first said it. They were like Prophet Dixon. I'm like, yeah. I I just like. It just registered to me. I'm like, that dude, no, because seriously, when I first saw your page, I'm like, that dude's a prophet. I have a, it's it's a weird thing. I have a, a keen sense of like, I, we'll talk offline about that, but yeah, we'll talk offline. But the saints wore it out because they know that I am not um, hung up over title. And, nope. so, and so that, that formality made me cringe and they laughed at it because yeah <laughs> yeah and i didn't like i did when i first saw it i was just like hey you know i think we were on i was on live with somebody and i was like prophet dixon and the people wore it out in the comments and i'm like okay did i say something wrong or what and then i found out that he's not a title person at all which is why i affectionately call him prophet dixon because he doesn't like it <laughs> praise our savior whose name is Jesus. praise the lamb that was slain <laughs> thank you so much sir yes sir no problem i appreciate you and like he said the people i've met on instagram are crazy like there are people that i've met on instagram that are real live homies i will fight you over them and i meant that too i mean oh, if you knock our buck if i mean if you feel froggy <laughs> oh okay <laughs> oh okay Thank you so much, sir. And with that being said, Vibe Central, we out.